All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to virtual TCC on this storm-threatened Sunday. Happy to be with you uh, in a time when uh, many people can't get out and the roads might be bad. So uh, we're going to be all virtual today here at TCC. Uh, in just a moment, we'll get to our scripture passage here in the book of Romans, continuing on in our uh, sermon series today. But first, I want to give a little bit of announcements about the life of the church. Uh, first off, uh, remember that we're asking you to do some corporate uh, prayer and fasting this week. Um, just take a meal uh, instead of eating. Maybe spend that time praying for our church to rest in Jesus. Resting in Jesus is our theme, and we would love uh, for you to participate in that. Also, you can involve your community group, uh, your O2 group. Give them a text and say, this is what I've learned during this time. So uh, that's this week. Uh, also, uh, we have already started our churchwide Bible reading plan, the TCC Bible reading plan. This year is called five by five by five by five by five by five. Lots of fives in there. Uh, but it's our attempt to get you to read together through the New Testament in one year. And it's not too late to start. And I'm happy this week to have a testimony from someone who has started the Bible plan and they've been blessed by it. They've agreed to come and speak briefly with us. So let's have a testimony briefly. Oh, hello. What is your name? Asa. All right, Asa. Have you been reading through the Bible? Yep. What book are you in now? Mark. Mark, all right. Did you read a story uh, in Mark yesterday? Yeah. Uh, what was it about? Jesus healed a, a boy that had an unclean spirit. Ah, demon. Yikes. What does that show about Jesus? It shows that Jesus is really powerful and he can heal anybody. All right. I see you've got some writings there. Can you show us what you have? All right. Okay. Looks like you've taken some notes. Mm -hmm. Good job. This Bible reading plan encourages you to journal, and I appreciate that you're doing that. Thanks so much for your testimony. High five. All right. Thanks, buddy. Bye. All right. As you can see, uh, this Bible reading plan is accessible for your kids. You can read it along with them and have something to talk about at dinner, and that'll be good for you, I pray. Also, just keep in mind that in January, we are going to emphasize uh, the idea of resting in Jesus. In February, we'll be emphasizing loving the church. And keep in mind next week, we're going to highlight that we are a people known for forgiveness and love, being a multi-ethnic people, uh, being a people with a keen eye towards the poor. January 30th, uh, we'll try to highlight being a people who advocate for the unborn and their families and a people who hold out the beauty of God's design regarding gender and sexuality. So all that's coming up, and uh, we're happy for uh, you to be on the journey with us. Uh, keep in mind on Sunday, we've moved into a new facility. Uh, we still have some openings. If you want to serve at TCC, we can certainly hook you up with a team. Um, lots of opportunities there, and you can also uh, take time to fill out the survey that we sent out via email. Let us know how you'd like to serve and finally, be on the lookout uh, in the emails for some upcoming dates for Workday on our TCC property, Backyard Bible Clubs, plan for the summer, marriage retreat, 
and even a discussion on singleness, that kind of thing. It's all coming up, so we hope that'll be a blessing for you in the future. Uh, but as for today, we're going to continue in our Romans series by spending just a little time thinking on the topic of prayer. Now, when we think through our prayer lives, we could address numerous areas, maybe the discipline of praying regularly or how to organize our prayers, where to even get started. Uh, we could look at the different type of prayer there are out there, really a robust, rich topic. But today we're going to focus narrowly and tightly on just one aspect of prayer. And it's actually what we see here in our scripture passage in our Romans sermon series. So as we have been journeying through the book of Romans together, today we come up to Romans 8 verses 26 and 27. What I'd like to do is just read that passage along with you, pray, and then talk about it for a moment. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Romans 8, 26 and 27. Let's read that together. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray together. God, I do pray that we as a people can come around your word and be helped. Give us hope today as we seek to be a praying people in the coming year. Give us rest in Jesus through this passage. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, the book of Romans is like a roller coaster. It has these deep valleys where God asks you to consider your flaws, and it has these clickety-clackety climbs where you must go really slow up the mountain to understand the hard doctrines, uh, but we're now getting close to everybody's favorite part. It's like that thrilling downhill slide, and you see it in Romans 8, 28. This is the part that everybody loves about the book, for it says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's every setback, all my heartaches, every single COVID case, all the resolutions that I failed to keep. God will take all of these and work them for good. It's like a rush of the dive on the roller coaster, G-forces for the soul. That's good news. But I want to look at our prayer lives in light of Romans 8, 28. The idea is that God has promised to work all things for good, including your prayers. And I want to address today one of the biggest challenges you'll face this year in your prayer lives. And now, this is not something you will say out loud, maybe, but you're going to face it nonetheless. And here's what our hearts sometimes say when we're honest. I'm not motivated to pray today because I'm not sure that it changes things. Or you might feel, I don't think prayer always works. Now, why would you say this? Well, too many times you pray for things and you didn't get what you wanted. Now, Paul, the writer of Romans, knew this challenge. Three times he pleaded with God to take away the thorn in his flesh, but God didn't do that for him. 
Far too often, you might ask for something and just not get an answer. Or too many times you might say, honestly, I've got what I wanted through acting, through doing. Anytime there's a real problem, I just grab the reins and I take action. That's how things really get done. But all these are different ways of saying the same thing. I really don't trust that prayer works. Again, you may not dare to say these things out loud, but you very well may live this way. And I'm thankful that today's text addresses this challenge to our faith. We're going to see that your prayers always work. They work together for good. I don't know if you've ever been motivated to do something once you better understand how it works. For instance, this week, I spoke to someone about getting uh, teenagers in, interested in investing their money. And as I was speaking to the counselor, he said, well, if they have any doubts, just show them this investment calculator. And sure enough, I went online and I saw the investment calculator. And it's one of those websites where if you type in $100 over 30 years at a reasonable rate, you hit the magic button and boom, you see a graph that shows your $100 turns into $20,000. Or maybe in the new year, you're trying to lose that holiday weight that you put on. Uh, but you're not sure about the plan that the trainer proposed to you. But once you understand that through diet and exercise, you can burn more calories than you take in, you're motivated to begin your program. And this is how our verses on prayer function today here in Romans 8. Once we understand and how and why our prayers do in fact work, we'll be motivated to run to God this year and treasure Christ through pleading to God. Now, you know, if I was uh, hearing from Asa earlier about our TCC Bible reading plan, and he was talking about Mark 9. There's this distraught father whose child is being destroyed by a demon, and he's had a lifetime of setbacks with this child, and now the disciples have come, and the disciples can't even heal him. So he turns to Jesus for help, but he's brutally raw when he says in regards to Jesus's ability, he says, Jesus, if you can, help us. I believe, but help my unbelief. And today, God wants you to believe in your prayer life, that your prayers work. So let's jump into today with just one question. How can you trust that your prayers work. All right, let's begin here in verse 26 of uh, Romans 8. Paul writes, likewise, let's start right there and realize that likewise is the connection word, and it's going to connect this to something we've already read earlier in Romans 8. So back in verse 20, we learned that all of our world is broken. Is subjected to futility. Because of sin, and Satan, and disease, natural disasters, snowstorms, all these things abound. And since we are a part of this creation, we too are broken. In verse 23, the focus was on our broken bodies. We age, we get sick, 
we have bad knees, we have bad eyesight. As long as we are in this world, we'll be groaning deeply, wanting our bodies to be fixed. We long for healing. Well, God's answer to our physical weakness in verse 23 is that he gives us a pledge. He will restore and recreate our bodies. The current presence of his own spirit serves as an appetizer of sorts, if you will, of his beautiful coming recreation. The fact that God gave us his spirit helps us to be assured that one day he will give us restored bodies. Now, if we land back here in verse 26, the topic changes away from the physical things of creation to the immaterial things, spiritual things like prayer, but the subject changes to prayer even though one thing does not change. Here's what doesn't change. The Spirit of God is working for you. That's why Paul writes, likewise, just as he gives us hope for our bodies, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Which particular weakness? Well, he's speaking about our prayers. We have a prayer weakness. Keep reading. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So think back to the objection of prayer that we're considering. I don't pray because it doesn't work. That's the objection. So here's the beginning of God's answer. Your prayers must work because my spirit is all up in them. Now, there's a couple of types of people who need to hear that the spirit of God helps us in our weakness during prayer. You could be in both of these camps, depending on the day, right? So here, here's the first type of people who need to hear this. People who know that they are weak. Uh, this might be you this weekend. You know that you're hurting, but you feel too weak even to call out to God. It's okay to feel this way. In fact, it puts you in the perfect position to experience God's help and God's power. Listen to what writer Jared Wilson says here. He says, the power comes not from us, but from God himself. The Holy Spirit inspires our prayers and empowers our prayers and receives our prayers and applies our prayers. You know when you're depressed by an inconsolable loneliness, that great power is not something that comes to you naturally. It isn't found within at least not within your natural self. Through prayer, we bear our hearts and our minds and our souls to the God who wants to be our friend and deliverer. And the more we do this, bearing, the more we will experience of his power, even in our lowest, weakest of moments. Prayer is essentially weaponized weakness. Prayer is expressed helplessness. It is a verbalized acknowledgement of our own lack of power, of our own weakness. And it is our weakness that God's power is going to be perfected. Now, for some of you, the issue of weakness could revolve around confusion. I'm too muddle-brained to pray. I'm not sophisticated. I'm not sure what the best option ahead is. This often comes over us like a cloud during some major life decisions. Should I change jobs or not? 
Should I marry him or not? Should I move or not? I want to do God's will just so badly, but I'm not sure what's best to persistently pray for. This could be either good or it could be a disaster. Uh, for others of us, you might simply feel weak or unworthy uh, in light of my personal guilt or shame that's been heaped on me. I don't really feel worthy to pray. I'm not good enough to know what to pray for. Now, if this is you, be encouraged and just keep reading here because God has some cool promises in this passage. The Spirit has a distinct way to make your prayers work even in your frailty. So I said there was a couple of different people who needed to hear this. First are those who feel weak and they know it, but there are also others of us who don't know that they are weak. They're weak, but they don't realize it. Now, these are the folks that are uber confident that their prayer list is always on point. Here's an example. Let's say there's an underpaid guy and he's up for a promotion at work. Now, he knows the promotion would allow him to give his children some better opportunities. It would also allow him to donate more time and money toward working toward justice in the city. So he knows what he has to do. He has to pray for two weeks straight. He just knows this is God's best for him. This must be God's will. But after two weeks, guess what? He didn't get the promotion. Someone else got it. He thought that that was God's best, but it ain't happening. What went wrong? Well, God intends to work all things for good without that promotion. He has another path to make you more like Jesus. So hear this. Prayer is not about giving God access to your own problem-solving plan. Here's why. Your plans are broken. Your plans are limited. You can't see the whole picture. Your plans are tainted. And because you are broken and limited and tainted, you are weak. You don't know God's hidden will, so you don't know what to ask for. This should move you towards dependency and humility when you pray. You might have your life organized. You may know what you want. That's not always what God wants. So take hope. The Spirit is here to help. Well, with all this weakness, we should stay humble, but how can we stay hopeful when we pray? Let's take a brief look at three things here in this passage that ensure your prayers will work. All right, first off, how do we know our prayers are going to work? First reason, the Spirit stands with you. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, as, as I was preparing this week for this sermon, I saw news breaking on USA Today's website that singer-songwriter Sinead O'Connor was rushed to the hospital she had been devastated by the suicide of her 17-year-old son. And she said these words, I've decided to follow my son to death. 
that there's no point in living without him. I'm ruined without my son. I'm lonely. Twitter is for lonely people and monsters like me get terribly lonely. That was what she wrote in reaction to the loneliness of losing her son. Such loneliness is a part of our experience. It's a part of your experience in this broken world. But look at this verse 26 promise. Loneliness does not get the last word in your prayers. God's promise is when you are in your darkest place, when you are weak in prayer, when you don't know what to pray, the spirit stands with you. It may be nighttime in your soul, but you're not alone. He intercedes for us. And now, what does this mean, this notion of intercession? Well, the idea is to bring petitions or requests to someone. So when you don't know what or how to pray, trust that the Spirit is doing it for you as you pray. And it gets better. The Spirit is not alone. A few verses later in Romans 8, 34, we see Christ himself is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25 reveals the picture of Jesus always living now to make intercession for his people. Charity Bancroft, an Irish girl of just 23, once wrote the lyrics to a song, and she simply called it Advocate. These are lyrics you sense as much as sing, the feeling that Charity knew what it meant to grieve when she penned these words, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the wrong within. Upwards I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Both the Son and the Spirit are joining together in unity before God on your behalf when you pray. Now, what are these groanings mentioned here in the text? What's up with that? Well, remember, we saw groanings earlier in Romans 8. There, the groanings, the groanings are the deepest longings of your heart to see Jesus fix all that is broken in this world. Now, here in verse 26, these groans are our soul's most intense desires, our deepest emotions that we feel when we come to the end of ourselves and we stand before God in prayer. Martin Luther described it like this. Luther said, when everything is hopeless for us and all things begin to go against our prayers and desires, then those unutterable groans begin. And then the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For unless the Spirit were helping, it would be impossible for us to bear. Likewise, John Calvin says this, except we are supported by God's hands, we are soon overwhelmed by innumerable evils. Though we are in every respect weak and various infirmities threaten our fall, there is yet sufficient protection in God's spirit to preserve us from falling and to keep us from being overwhelmed by any mass of evils. So what ensures that your prayers will work? Well, trust that the Spirit stands with you. That's God's promise to you this morning. Here's another reason you can trust that your prayers will work. The Father knows you. 
Now let's look at the first part of verse 27. It reads like this. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Isn't it such a grace to remember that God is a God who comes near to you? He's not a surface-level friend. He doesn't just scroll your social media posts, dropping in only to say happy birthday or I like some pictures. No, your God searches your heart. The opening words of Psalm 139 come to mind here where we read, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, oh, Lord, you know it all together. Songwriter Zach Boland shares this. God knows everything about us. He knows exactly how many breaths we will breathe. He knew when we took that first breath that our hearts would turn from him, yet he still chose to create us and shower us with his common grace. Think of all those years he sat patiently with you, softly calling you into the light, and you were still resisting, only for the eyes of your heart to finally one day be enlightened, to see God in all of his glory and his grace. You repented of sin and ran to him. God searches our hearts. And he still wants us. This week, the popular comedian Bob Saget passed away. He died. And I was just reading the tweets of some of his closest friends. It reminded me of the depths of pain that you feel in times of deep loss. One of his friends wrote, this hurts like nothing I've ever felt before. I love you. I love you. I love you. And uh, actor John Stamos shared I'm broken and I'm gutted. Another friend said, I wish I could lean on you, Bob, through all of these tears. I'm crying for you. And it's on this level of pain where God meets you. His elevator goes all the way down to that dark floor. If you ever doubt that, look no further than Jesus. God himself who came down to earth to tabernacle and dwell among his people, wants to come near to you. He knows the muck of the manger, the thirst of the desert. God has come near. Now, here's how God's tender searching works to ensure that your prayers are successful. Verse 23 describes how the Holy Spirit is with you in your deepest groanings. In fact, every Godward desire of yours is birthed by the Holy Spirit. But due to this fallen world and our fallen nature, our longings are broken. The mind of the Spirit understands your longings. So when you pray, verse 7 is activated. He, God, who searches heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Your Father knows the Spirit intimately. He receives from him your prayer requests, your pleadings, your desperate heart cries. And as the Father hears you, he mysteriously and gloriously uses your prayers. The prayers of God's people are the means to accomplish his ends. In other words, God takes the thread of your prayers along with a million other factors in the cosmos, and he weaves together a beautifully complex tapestry. The end product is you conforming to the image of God. And all things work to the glory 
of God. God takes everything, including what he knows to be your deepest desires, and he will weave them together for good. So what ensures that your prayers will work? The Father loves you and he knows you. So we've seen that you can know your prayers will work because the Spirit stands with you and the Father knows you. And here's another reason why you can trust that your prayers will work. Your prayers are recreated. Look at verse 27, all of it. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I want to focus on the result of the Spirit's intercession for you in prayer. As you pray, your desires are an interwoven mix of godly requests and sinful brokenness and confusion. Just a mess. In his intercessory work, the Spirit is taking your mixed bag of longings and filtering out the ungodly desires. As we had the joy of taking this text this week in community group, one of the women there said very wisely, it's like the Spirit renew, removes when you pray all of the unnecessary noise in our communication with God. And I think that's right. Uh, Professor Tom Schreiner explains it this way. God the Father searches the hearts of believers and finds longings to do his will. The Spirit takes these longings and presents them to God in articulate forms. Believers cannot specify their request to God adequately since they don't know his will. So the Spirit translates these groanings and confirms them to God's will. Now, to sum it up, when you pray, the Spirit recreates your prayers. And at this point, we can pull back and remember the big picture of Scripture. Recall that God is recreating the entire cosmos. All will one day be restored to an Eden 2.0 as far as the curse is found. And the focal point of all of this new creation work is Jesus Christ. As we have seen in Romans 5, Jesus in his perfect life succeeded at every point where Adam failed. Uh, Pastor Justin Dillahay writes it in this way. The first son's fall doesn't lead God to scrap creation, but to restore it through a greater son. God isn't just waiting to begin in the future. In raising his son, God has already launched the new creation and enthroned the firstborn. And in his death, Jesus took the punishment for the sin awakened at the fall. So now all who turn to Jesus are a part of this new creation. The Spirit's work is to regenerate you into a new person such that Paul can write in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's good news. I, I want to speak just a moment and address those of you guys who are watching who are 18 and under. Maybe you're Ace's age. Maybe you're older. I want you to know today, if you've turned to Jesus, and say that you are done with your old life, he will hear you. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that he has come so that you may have abundant life. 
Look to Jesus today as your best one, your, your treasure. Turn away from your evil, and the Spirit will give you new life. Now, what does all this newness talk have to do with our prayers? Well, even your prayers are recreated to always work. Listen to how John Piper described this. When the Spirit inspires and directs the groanings in our hearts, the ultimate purpose of the universe happens. Now, let me pause the quote here. Uh, this is what I mean when I say your prayers work. I don't mean that they are a magic wand to give you all of your material desires. I do mean your prayers are used to work all things to good. And the highest good is the magnification of God himself. So let me restart the quote. When the Spirit inspires and directs the groanings in our hearts, the ultimate purpose of the universe happens. God gets the glory because God the Spirit creates the groanings. God gets the glory because God the Father is the one who hears and performs what the Spirit asks. And God gets the glory because God the Son purchased for sinners every blessing they ever receive. As one writer put it, God's answer to every single prayer of the Spirit is yes, because the Spirit transforms your prayers to align with the will of God. So what ensures that your prayers will work? Your prayers are recreated even as you are praying. So we've seen in this text that you can know your prayers will work because the Spirit stands with you, the Father knows you, and your prayers are recreated. If I had to sum up simply why your prayers work, my answer is this. God carries the weight. And isn't that just like it? Uh, this whole month, we're emphasizing the part of our church vision that says, rest in Jesus. Jesus himself said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As a church, 16 years ago, we gathered together and we memorized that verse in Matthew. And today it's just as true. And over the past 16 years, I've seen this in my own life. When I come to Jesus, he gives me rest. Today, God promises that he will hear your prayers and will work them for good. Rest in him when you pray. Clarissa Mall is a young writer and mother who's also a widow. Her husband died tragically in a hiking accident. And when she reflects on her life these days, she shares how she feels weak and tries to counterbalance this by grabbing for ultimate control in her life. Listen to what she writes. These days, it's obvious there's little over which I have control. Government prohibitions limit my activities. Life responsibilities hem me in. I cannot magically erase the feelings and cares that follow me from day to day. But in all of these things beyond my control, I can choose this. I can confess I've been chasing a worldly ideal that encourages me to shoulder on, to carry weights too heavy for me to bear. I can raise my hands in prayer, pleading, sorrowful, anxious, tired, 
and offer my burdens to Jesus. And I can take the easy yoke Jesus offers, resting in my weakness and reveling in the beauty of his strength. Amen. That is beautiful. Well, it's a joy for me to end our reflections on this passage by praying together as I seek to encourage you to take confidence that your prayers are working to end up following God's purposes, to bring about God's purposes. I just want to pray with you here to close our time. This prayer was a gift given to the church by Pastor Scotty Smith. I just want to pray together and then we'll end our time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, because you live forever to intercede for us, we forever live to say thank you. Your sacrifice for our sins was once and forever, so you fully save us once and forever. We don't have to ramp up, gussy up, buck up when it come before you, God. We just come as we are because you are just as you are, perfect and glorious and loving. And Jesus, thank you for your constant care, measureless kindness, unrelenting advocacy. Nothing can sabotage your sovereignty, warp your will, divert your decrees for us and for all of creation. If we knew what you know, we'd spend less time vexing and begging and more time trusting and adoring you. As the gospel goes deeper into our hearts this year, turn our worries into wonder and transform our self-fears into neighbor, love, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for your nonstop praying inside of us, especially when we don't know what to pray and when we have little desire to pray. Your groans are a more exquisite heavenly vocabulary than our most spiritual prayers. We are grateful, humbled, and needy. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, and thank you for joining us this week. We look back, uh, we look ahead, hoping that next week we'll be back together in person. So I hope you have a good day. Thank you.